Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, March 24th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited to have you for this hour. Hear your finance and investment questions and provide my unbiased answers using a lot of perspective, 20 plus years of experience, and a lot of great data in front of me. It's uh, the great thing about today's uh, technology, I can pull up so much in a short period of time and distill out is uh, uh, an educated understanding of what's going on so that you can make better money decisions. So it's not just about investing as well. I know I'm going to talk about different stocks, but if you have a question about strategies, about the market as a whole, about different sectors, about different asset classes, especially in this new environment. We're entering a multipolar world, the pandemic and now uh, the war, along with the sanctions. Don't underestimate that. Sanctions are a big step in the global economy. And the question is, what does that mean for markets, sectors, companies, and your strategy. And so in this hour, I'm going to do my best to help you take that next step. And that's really what this is all about. You're never going to learn all you need to know in a short period of time. It's a continuous journey to try to understand what you need to know to avoid the headlines and focus on the facts to filter out your emotions and execute on a strategy that makes sense for you. Everyone's different, starting from a different place. Their goals at the end are probably a bit different. Risk tolerance levels are different. So it's not about coming on here and someone calls about a stock and you just buy that stock. It's about understanding the risks and the rewards of the entire suite of investment options that you have and what fits you, your temperament, your goals. And so my, my goal each and every show is to give you at least one more tool 
in your toolbox to make better money decisions. Now we're in a volatile time and opportunities are going to present themselves. They already have, and you need to be ready to act in order to act. You need to have a strong toolbox. I might be one of those tools, but I should not be the only tool. You need to internalize the things that are needed to be successful. And so that's why on this podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. I want to bring you along in our success as well as think differently. I'm not Kramer. I'm not banging bells and whistles. Here, just give you the facts as I see them in front of me and provide you with unbiased answers. So I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions right now during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time. Or if you leave a question on our anytime voice bank, we will answer it on a future show. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888 chart So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, this question is for Justin or Steve. I was looking at defense stocks such as Raytheon or Lockheed Martin. I had not invested in them previously uh, because I was more focused on infrastructure stocks. But due to extenuating circumstances that's uh, happening in Ukraine, I was wondering what your take on them and the growth possibilities on them would be. Thank you. All right. This is Raytheon and Lockheed Martin. Clearly, they've rallied because of increased expectation of government spending on defense. You've already seen that with Germany. I believe they are spending 2% of the GDP. They doubled their defense spending uh, on the heels of this war. And they're some of the biggest defense suppliers, Raytheon and Lockheed. Now, before the war, my always thought process was, Governments are now weaponizing economies more than tanks and planes. And I still think that's the case, but I think I underestimated the odds of a, of a hot war like we have now. But I think you're going to have to answer the question. Do you think the war will continue to escalate or do you think you know, a month or two from now, Putin will take what he can get. Take Crimea, some of the eastern regions, maybe other parts of Ukraine, come to some sort of peace agreement, and then move on. Or is he going to throw all his chips in, uh, on the table and continue a long fight, which it looks like? It'll probably be. And do you think this is World War Three? Do you think he'll attack other countries, etc.? And if you do, then these are probably going to go higher because that probably hasn't been priced in. But it's already moved. They already moved up dramatically. 30, 40% since the start of the war. So it's already priced in a lot of this. I still think wars are going to be more fought, cybersecurity, 
weaponizing financial systems like we've done and less on hot wars and tanks and, and, and military equipment. But that's me. I could be wrong. I have been wrong, right, uh, on this front. So that's really what you're playing here. And you have to answer that question first. Thanks for the call. 888 chart, 888 Now, Steve and I are grateful for your podcast support and our free downloads will always continue, but I want to make you aware of two other ways to find our material and unbiased guidance. Best Talk has a YouTube channel and an Instagram following as well. We're building out more content on both platforms. So go to YouTube or Instagram and search Invest Talk. Remember, use two T's and please tell your friends as well. The phone lines are open. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. No question is too simple. Wanted to ask about Teladoc. And each question is an important part of the podcast. My wife has a role over 401k from a previous employer. I was curious if this is eligible to be used to do a backdoor Roth. Steve and Justin are fearless. That's fairly inexpensive for this kind of explosive growth. The problem here is that you're picking a leveraged ETF. Tell your friends and family members about InvestTalk. You've been instrumental in my understanding how this market works. Don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call Invest Talk 888 99Chart. Let's go to Daniel in Pueblo. He's in El Pueblo, Colorado. Excuse me. He's uh, looking at FedEx. You look, looking to buy it or do you own it? Yeah, I own it uh, for about six months, but I've noticed that. The, the price has gone down from earlier in the year, and I'm just wondering what your what your thoughts on their uh, future performance might be. Well, the reason it's gone down is because FedEx does not have union workforce, and they've had trouble with labor, strong labor shortage. And the labor shortage in this country is likely to persist for the next couple of decades. Remember, the baby boomers were the largest cohort of our workforce for a long period of time. And now the majority of baby boomers are now retired, which means we are undersupplied with labor. And until Gen Z comes of age fully, uh, which is roughly 20 years from now, we're not going to replace that. And so we're going to have labor. Uh, inflation. And that's a structural headwind for any company who is heavily reliant on labor like FedEx. And I think their cost of, of labor to continue to go up much higher than they're used to. Whereas UPS, that has, uh, it's been, it's, it's, a, it's a union uh, labor force and pays their workers better. They have a more stable uh, workforce and cost structure. And 
that's why I don't love FedEx. I don't love the chart. Uh, it's below all the major moving averages. And earnings for this year, expectations are, are coming down. And I don't want to be buying a, a company when earnings expectations continue to ratchet lower and they have a major structural issue. Um, and, and so, and not only that, but physical goods are in shorter, shorter demand as the economy reopens and people can travel and, and go out to eat, et cetera. So less things to be moved. So interesting company, certainly on the watch list, it's always uh, worth buying at the right price. But to me, the right price is somewhere around 160, 170. Now it's at 225. Uh, so I'm passing on FedEx for now. Now my focus point today is based on this story. Pandemic fallout has caused buyer's remorse in the housing market. Apparently, many millennials maxed out their budget and then later regretted their decisions. So we're going to look at that story. And if we have time, I want to touch on the next super cycle, which will be in metals. Everyone thinks of energy and they think of oil and natural gas, but in a world where there's heavy reliance on wind and solar, electric vehicles, metals are going to be far more important, far more in demand than they used to be. So we're going to look at that. And then energy and security in general. It's here to stay. And we're going to give some numbers on why that is. Then lastly, if we have time, what are the odds that the Fed will engineer a soft landing for the economy as they continue to embark on a tightening cycle? So that's what's on my mind today. But ultimately, I want to hear from you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now, let's look at the market today. S&P up 64 points. Nice, solid, about 1.5% increase on the, on the indices. And you had weakness. Let me pull this up here. You had strength and growth. Growth uh, definitely outperformed. And, and part of that had to do with the 10-year uh, flattening out a bit over the past couple of days. So there's a big kind of growth scare uh, in the growth side of the market uh, yesterday. But you had that bounce back today. So that's what's, uh, that's what's happening in, in the market. Um, gold continues to go up. continues to grind higher. Another, I talked yesterday about the sanctions on, on Russia being very bullish for gold in general. And one of their kind of tit for tat moves was to allow Europe to only buy oil and gas from Russia in rubles. But what they just did today was say, you can also pay us in gold. One way to get around these, uh, you know, to, to kind of get around buying rubles. And I could see them doing that. Remember, 40%, 40% of the natural gas demand in Europe comes from Russia. So they can't really, at least in the short term, cut it off. Otherwise, people are going to freeze. Inflation is going to skyrocket there. Uh, and so they're going to find ways to, to try to get around it, but it's going to be very difficult in the near term. 
Now we're moving into a break, and this is a good time for you to get to the phone and give me a call with your finance and investment questions. As always, on Invest Talk, the number never changes. It's 888-99-CHART. The market is constantly changing, and you've got to be ready to react. You'll have questions. Steve and Justin have answers. The Invest Talk Anytime listener line never closes. 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline Pandemic fallout has caused buyer remorse in the housing market. And apparently, millennials have maxed out their budget and then later regretted it. Now, low interest rates, high rents, and working from home pushed a lot of young workers, young Americans, to buy homes for the first time over the past couple of years. Now, according to statistics, home values increased 20% between September 20th and September 2021. A lot of those were millennials driving home prices up, maxing out their budgets, and then, like I said, later regretting it, a lot badly wanted out of the high rent market, rent increases, but they missed some, they missed the the basics. Now, number one is the 1% rule, which is you should calculate about 1% of the home's value for annual upkeep. Many millennials weren't ready for that. They're used to things just working. Maybe they were uh, living in newer home or newer apartments and things weren't breaking or they just didn't understand the costs of when the air conditioner goes out, uh, when you have a plumbing issue, uh, whatever it is, they weren't ready for those other costs of home ownership. And that re- that's the big reason, one of the big reasons why uh, they had buyer remorse. Uh, there were other reasons. One was location. That was about 40% of the reason they had buyer's remorse. Um, let me see, what were the other ones in front of me? Yeah, there we go. Location was 40%. So didn't they, they, they outbid, they, they, they got into a bidding war. And later, they said, okay, this is not the, the right location that I really wanted. Uh, next up 30% were bad neighbors. That was part of their home regret. Also neighborhood changed too much. So wasn't exactly what they were expecting. Upkeep was too expensive. 30% of uh, millennials said that 29% they were not educated on home buying. So it's nearly a third saying that they, they really didn't understand what they were getting into in the home buying process. Maybe they didn't understand the taxes along with the upkeep, the, the tax implication, uh, all of that. 27% said that their home decreased in value, meaning they probably overbid, got into a bidding war and just threw out their budgets overall. And that caused 26% to say the mortgage was too expensive. And I think that's the big lesson here is that and I get this question all the time is, should I be buying a house? Is it a good time to buy a house? What I always say is 
Your home is utility. Should not be viewed as an investment, even though the majority of millennials see it as such. It's utility. That's the most important aspect of what a home is to you. It's not whether you make money. It's whether you can afford it and whether you're happy living in it. And 90% of millennials say that they will buy a home sight unseen. They'll buy a fixer-upper that needs major repairs. And 80% said they'll offer over-asking price. All of those things are just asking for problems to arise. So that's the issue here, is learn from these mistakes. Now, some millennials are saying that they plan to buy earlier. Some plan to delay. It's about 40% on each side because of a tough market. Now, what's influencing millennial buyers? Motivated to start a family, 37%. 27% want to keep up with their friends who are buying homes. And like I said, about half say they're doing it as a good investment. Your home, the investment aspect of a home that you live in, secondary. Always secondary. And so, when you look at a market where in 2020, homes spent average of only 17 days on market. That's up from 38 days in 2019. So you look at that type of uh, competitive market, it's easy to see why people focus on just getting the deal as opposed to whether the house is right for them. One in six millennials said they would offer $100,000 or more above asking price. That's pretty, pretty wild. That's eight times more likely than a boomer would. Just shows you kind of what boomers see $100,000 is versus I think a younger the younger generation. And so although the housing market's going to cool, you're seeing rates up. It's going to be a while till it is a buyer's market. Still a sales market. And that's why you need to focus on the utility and affordability first. Now the next invest talk, the story behind this headline, how COVID-19 changed investing. But for now, I'm Justin Klein and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, 
every time or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99Chart. Hey, good afternoon. So let's just say that a friend of a friend wants to move to Panama and generate income by actively managing a portfolio consisting mostly of stocks with the goal of withdrawing about $500 per month to augment living expenses. This person is relatively young, high risk tolerance, and at times may not even need to withdraw the money every month. But assuming that $500 per month were the goal, I guess the questions are, how much capital would you have to start with, as well as how would you structure the portfolio in general and I'm also interested in any other issues that you may know of that I don't about generating income in this way while living abroad. I don't expect the detailed answers to the strange question, but any guidance would be much appreciated. Thanks a lot. Love the show. Bye-bye. Hmm. Well, the first thing you're going to have to do is consult uh, international tax uh, CPA that understands the tax laws of Panama. Because every country is, is different when it comes to how income that is earned elsewhere, for example, on investments that are not in Panama, are taxed. And every, every country has those, those quirks and those differences. So I personally am not privy to to that type of information. I'm not a CPA, I'm not a tax professional. Uh, so that's what you need to do first. And then you can go about a plan. 
about how to invest it because you're going to need to know how that income is taxed. And until you know that, you can't create a, a good strategy because you don't know how dividends are taxed in from US companies, for example, or interest income from Chinese companies, or real estate income from Brazilian companies, or, you know, or, or Brazilian assets. All of these things are dependent on the laws of Panama, if they're a resident of Panama. So the first thing is you need a great international CPA. Hope that helps. Let's go to Dave in Ohio looking at Gilead. Oh, thanks for taking my call. I love the podcast. Yeah, um, yeah symbol is a G I L D. Yeah. Uh, looking for like a long term play. It's down quite a bit and it pays almost a 5% yield. Uh, your thoughts and a good uh, entry point to get in. All right, this is Gilead. And Gilead Sciences, they make therapeutics to treat viral, fungal, respiratory, and cardiovascular disease. And their main, their main business is their hepatitis B and C treatments, which are very expensive. The problem is, is that it cures it. And that's why their business has been shrinking. They basically cured every one of hep B and C. So 2015, it made $12.61, and it's pretty much been declining ever since. Earnings are expected to be down 10% this year, probably down again next year. Last quarter, revenues are down 2%, earnings down 68%. And that dividend, while its payout ratio right now is about 50, 58%, that dividend has, yeah, that dividend is unlikely to, I think, be there longer term, unless they hit some sort of other big win. They have other therapeutics, but not enough to support that dividend. Remember, it's a $74 billion market cap. That means you're roughly paying out 3 to $4 billion a year in, in dividends. It's a lot of profit. And so this is kind of a melting ice cube. Now, is it cheap enough? There's always, every company is always cheap enough at some point. And it's back to kind of its pre, it's, it's COVID lows in December of 2020. I guess that, that was the COVID low. So there is support here. Uh, and it is on a, Operating earnings yield perspective, it's pretty cheap. But I don't like that it's a melting ice cube. And that's what you have to contend with is can they flatten out? Can they find another big winner besides just their hep hepatitis drugs? And that's what you're relying on, which is a big ask and a big unknown. So is it cheap? Yes, based on current earnings. Remember, market always looks forward and those earnings are expected to come down. Thanks for the call, Dave. 
888-99 chart, 888-992-4278. We have about 15 minutes left in the show. So if you're going to call, you want to do it now. Now let's talk about the transition to green energy and the commodity superpowers that will be made because of it. Now, the world is trying to wean itself off of dirty fossil fuels. And the International Energy Agency forecasts that by 2050, 70% of power generation will come from wind and solar. Now, I think that's a little, frankly, aggressive. I don't really think that's going to happen. But it's certainly going to grow from the 9% in 2020. And what that means is there'll be a shift in commodity demand from things like coal, gas, and oil into other types of green metals. So think of copper, cobalt, and nickel. And that's really the shift here. Remember, you're trying to turn natural energy into usable energy. And that takes a lot of metals. It also takes a lot of fossil fuels. Think of the steel to make wind turbines and solar panels. Now, some countries are have, have a lot of the green metals. Some, not at all. Now, between 1940 and 1970, the share of hydrocarbons in the energy supply of the rich countries rose from 26% to 70%. And that put a lot of once very marginal economies, they turned them into petrostates. Think of Qatar, Saudi Arabia. They grew 12 and 18 fold respectively from 1970 to 1980 when oil prices you know, spiraled higher. So the windfalls now will be on those states that have a lot of those metals. Some are currently thriving democracies. Others are authoritarian states today. And so what you have here is not just a green transition, but a commodity transition. Now, this is a study done by The Economist, which I think is, is, is great. And it looked at the different countries. Some countries, Australia, for example, they have a ton of a lot of green metals. Chile is home to 42% of the world's lithium reserves and a quarter of its copper deposits. So Chile is set to do very well. The Congo, which is an autocratic state, has 46% of global cobalt reserves and currently produces 70% of the world's output today. China has a lot of aluminum, copper, lithium. Indonesia has a ton of nickel. Peru has a quarter of the world's silver. Now, what countries are going to suffer? Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Russia, petrostates that are highly reliant on oil and natural gas and don't have much of the green metals. Some countries are going to kind of be neutral. America, Brazil, Canada, they're going to lose a lot of fossil fuel earnings, but they also have a lot of mineral deposits. 
So it's, they're kind of neutral in that sense. So the big question though is capital spending. How much capital is going to freely flow into these countries to build out these mines? Because on average, these mines take 16 years to build. So to meet the booming demand, it's going to take investment today. And so it's going to be very important for green metal exploration and production. Uh, and you're going to spend, need to spend about $2 trillion, the, the world is, on these developments. Recent projects suggest digging out enough copper and nickel alone would require 250 to $350 billion in CapEx before 2030. And so that's why I'm the most bullish near term oil and gas. But as we hit, you know, as we continue to push towards a greener future, these, these metals are going to be vital and it's going to shift the dynamics of power in the world. And I think that's part of why Russia is doing what it's doing. It's seeing the writing on the wall and it needs to make its plays now until the oil, before the oil money runs out. And so I thought this was a great study and something everyone should understand. Now let's fit in another iTunes review question. Largo Farburn says, great name, by the way, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on SCHD. I'm looking to add some dividend stocks to my portfolio. Now this is the Schwab dividend ETF. Let me pull up uh, the holdings. Yeah. Schwab us dividend equity ETF. And the first thing you, you think of is, okay, it's, you're getting us exposure, 99% us stocks. Top holding is Pfizer, Texas Instruments, Pepsi, Home Depot, Coke, Broadcom, Amgen, Merck, Cisco, and IBM. I like some of those names, Texas Instruments, Broadcom, Coke, Amgen, Cisco, other ones, not so much. So kind of neutral there. Sector breakdown, only 3% basic materials. Don't like that. Only four and a half percent energy. Don't like that. 50% technology. That's okay. In industrials about 16% solid 14% consumer defensive, 12% healthcare, but only basically no utilities, which is interesting. I would want some utilities in there from looking for dividends, uh, financial services, 21%, no real estate, no REITs. It's kind of odd. So I don't love the sector breakdown. I don't love the top holdings, but it's okay. It's relatively low cost. Let me look at its uh, yield here or its expense ratio. Yeah, six basis points. That's pretty cheap. But you're getting broad blue chip diversification. Decent, but I don't love it. Let's go to Lewis in Seattle looking at MAN. Hey, Justin. Yeah, I'm looking at Manpower Group. So I like that they're buying back shares and their debt to equity ratio, but I know they're like a good grower. Um, it's one in the IRA. And so mm -hmm. I wonder what's a good entry point for a good margin. All right. Provides temporary and permanent staffing services for various industries, 2,200 offices in 75 countries. And their business suffered during COVID, but it's bounced back nicely and it's expected to make all time high in profits later uh, next year. 
yields 2.7%. I kind of go back, I kind of like this. Why? We have, we have a problem with labor. <laughs> and if you need, you need staffing, you're needing to reach out to a company like Man, Manpower. And so I actually kind of like this. Like you said, they're buying back shares consistently. Their dividend is 2.7%, which is solid. It's definitely, their payout is only 36%. So I think they can definitely afford that. The return on equity longer term, on average, mid to high teens. And that's great. Um, so I have no problem with it. It's probably fairly valued. I don't think it's cheap, probably fairly valued. So yeah, I, if you own it, I, I would, I would hold it. Uh, it's into some support. Um, technically, yeah, I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. I love the secular tailwinds with an undersupplied labor market, not just here, but in many, many countries, many developed countries around the world. So I'm going to give manpower a thumbs up. Thanks for the call, Lewis. Marsha from Texas wants to talk about Upstart. Yeah, thank you for taking my call, Justin. I was just checking. I've got um, a, a small, small position in this company. I got in around 116, and I just wondered, I was thinking about adding to it, and I wondered if you uh, could take a look at it and tell me what you think and if, if you, I think um, this is still a name. I, th I think this is still a name that's too too expensive. Uh, it's oh, well. in a downtrend now. It's a, definitely a growth stock. Now it's much better than it was when it was trading at four hundred dollars per share. So I will say that it's down seventy percent from its fifty-two week high. I think we're going to get in the, probably around the summertime. I think we're going to get one more push downwards on growth stocks. And I think that might be your signal to pivot a little bit back into them. I think that's going to be better about buying opportunity. This is going to be swept up in that. And that's when I would be thinking about adding to it, but not now. The technicals are too poor. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now, 888 chart This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. Thanks for taking this call. I had a question with regards to investing during a recession. I understand that consumer staples, utilities, and healthcare are usually good investments, which you guys have been suggesting that we get into now anyway. Um, I was wondering about credit card companies. I would imagine people who might be either losing their jobs or taking cuts in pay may need to lean on uh, using the credit cards more uh, during a recession. So if I can get your opinion on that, I'd appreciate it. Thanks very much. Bye. Well, typically during recession, you have rising defaults. People are losing their jobs. Like you said, they're getting their pay cut, et cetera. And it is more difficult to, uh, to pay, to pay the bills. Uh, and 
you have these credit card companies, Discover, Capital One, et cetera. They're, they're writing off, uh, they're writing off these, these losses. And you're already starting to see this in expectations for earnings this year for Discover, for example, down 21% from $17.83 last year to $14.15 this year. So you're, you're starting to see this already. Um, same with Discover, 27%, set $27 in earnings last year, or sorry, Capital One, $27 in earnings last year, expected to be only 20 this year, down 26%. So while rising interest rates, that definitely should help a bit. The, the yield, the rates are already high. Um, they're all in a downtrend. Okay. And so if we do go in recession, which I'm not calling for a recession quite yet, we're not seeing that in the cards near term. Why? Labor shortage. People still have money. People still have jobs. And so while their earnings are expected to not be as great, um, I'm not calling a recession quite yet. But yeah, during a recession, credit card companies, not the greatest investment. Now, Steve and I have said many times that we appreciate our diverse <clears throat> Invest Talk audience. And in fact, we receive call or questions from across America and around the world. Let's take a question now, this time from Canada. Hi, my name is Troy. I'm calling from Victoria in Canada. I'm looking at a stock for Roku, R-O-K-U. Uh, I've been looking at them for a while, um, but they were pretty high. They seem to have dropped a lot in the last uh, couple of months. And I'm wondering if this is a good entry point. So, yeah, I'd love to hear what you guys think. That's Roku, R-O-K-U. Thanks. All right, Roku. Uh, this is already down 74% from its 52-week high, $17 billion market cap. And frankly, I never understood the Roku thing. I, know, I, I use Roku. I have three Roku sticks in my house. Cool product. I never understood their business. I don't, and I don't think it's that great. Look at the numbers. Free cash flow trailing 12 months is 188 million. All time high. It's a $17 billion stock. What's that free cash flow yield? 0.1%. 0.1%. No, thank you. And all they do is issue more shares. 2017, they had 28 million shares outstanding. Today, they have 142 million shares outstanding. Turn equity has been always choppy, negative sometimes, barely positive. Even during this boom time for people buying TVs, watching things online. And I don't think they have a lock on the platform for smart TVs. I've used many others. It's in a downtrend. It's supposed to lose 89 cents this year after their first profit of the year last year. Going back to losing money? Absolutely not. I think this is one of those growth stocks that are down 70% today, 74% from a tie. I think it's going to be down 90% at some point. Well below $100 a share, now 127 I just don't see it with Roku. So many better opportunities, in the especially in the growth space. They're 
starting to become some good ones. This is not one of them. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And we do track our download numbers, and we are now closing in on 40 million. Thanks to you. Should that mark by Sunday? And we already are record for a quarter, and we still have a week left. It's exciting. We appreciate all of you. Get your Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. And if you leave your question with your, your, your rating, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.